0: Well, for those who weren't last week, um, we did this last year. We're doing a, a three-week series um, called "Responding to Jesus," um, which is like a bit of a basics series. Um, and and we you know we and we we'll talked through last week about why we why why we're doing it. And um, there's a few things. Um, so the first one is you know we have new people every year and um, that are in our midst and. It's an opportunity to, to you, know, if we, you know, we don't always know where people stand. It's an opportunity to just go over things like, hey, this is some core things with our identity in Christ. Um, you know, someone chatted to me about, uh, you know, how people come to faith. And, and what I want to say is that in our church, I actually did some thinking about this and, and, and um, writing things down about the way people have come to Christ in our church. I um, mean, this is a really healthy thing. The majority way people have come to faith in our church hasn't been through people um, inviting them to a service to hear the gospel, but people have made the relationship and shared it themselves, which is just that's that's the best. Like that's that's the number one ideal. Um, but we do this every year um, because it's just another way. So it's another an opportunity. Um, we we film the videos as well. So if this is not the way you want to sit with someone and go through our faith, you can. Um, but, the other reason we do it is that the basics are not the basics because they're elementary and if you're a Christian, you don't need to hear about them. These are lived truths. Like that, that When we look at the core truths of our faith that are about your identity, they're not a knowledge stick. They're, they're something that you live out and return to and continually call your heart back to. So, so when we say we're covering the basic truths of our faith, we don't mean basic as in... Um, why would you even repeat them? These are truths we repeat all the time. This is, this is who we are, this is what our life's about, this is what we submit to. Um, when we look at these truths. And the other thing is, as Baptists, it actually just provides a natural point in our calendar to call for Baptism. So we go, you know, if we're going over the basics every year, at the end of the course we just say, hey, if your heart resonated with all those truths and we haven't baptised you, we really want to encourage you to get baptised. And it's an opportunity to declare to your family and friends um, uh, that, you know, I'm for Jesus. This is what I believe. And and I, I every time we do baptisms, I just think it's super positive. Baptisms and weddings. Because baptisms and weddings, um, they bring the family of the person around them. They often get to declare their faith. Uh yeah, so there are three reasons uh that we do it. Um I recently did a wedding last week. Uh it was big weekend. <laughs> I um I made a little faux part. I you know, Like, it wasn't anyone's fault, it's our fault. We, you know, we had a wedding in the Central Coast, and so we booked accommodation in the Central Coast. Like, that isn't a massive region who, you know, that doesn't mean you're close to the wedding, Nathan. But, so, which was particularly annoying because, obviously, as a celebrant, I had to do the rehearsal the day before, and I was, like, not that close. So I had to leave the accommodation we booked to go just do the rehearsal and then come, Anyway. A bit of a pain. But anyway, the wedding was amazing. Sam Henderson, uh, who um, still associates with hasn't been with it for a while. Uh, but him and Tamara came a couple of times in the three months um, I was off. There's, there's also, Tamara has a daughter called Leah. It was a really beautiful wedding, and I talked about at their wedding about forgiveness and sacrifice, which is a bit of my go-to when it comes to talking to to newly married couples. And I, I talked about those two things as crossing distance, as in whenever there is hurt, Forgiveness is when someone crosses the distance to repair it. Like, you know, like embracing that cost of crossing that distance to the person to, to make sure the relationship continues. Because if the forgiveness stops, the relationship stops. That's exactly, you know, distance is being created, if no one's committed to forgiveness, the distance stays. Right? So someone's got to cross the distance. And one of my charge to married couples is, never get tired of crossing the distance. If you get tired of crossing the distance, it's game over. All right? for, for friendships, for relationships, for, for church communities, if you cannot cross the forgiveness distance, you cannot last. Like, is that true? Absolutely true. And, and what we're going to learn about is like, we're going to go review last week where we learned about a distance that was created between us and God. And then we're going to talk about how God responded to that distance. So last week, um, it was a bit funny, Kathy Williams, who, who is part of our church and, and works at the Ush, they saw this photo around, like because I printed out a photo of Bindi and Bobby Irwin, and they were like, hey, are you like, a big fan? Like Do you often print out and laminate pictures of Bindi and Bobby Irwin and put them up? No, it's just, it's just to make a point. Um, it's okay, there's nothing wrong with them. And, um, but I, I use these guys to talk about the idea of image of God because it's super helpful because it's not a concept that we have a lot of handles on in our faith. So but when, when I want to show you a, a simple example that helps you grasp the idea of what does it mean to be made in the image of God. So Steve and their father, is no longer with us. He's passed, right? Now these guys, in their habits, in their values, in their behaviours, in their life choices, actually, image their father into the world. They are images of their father. They, they, in their love for animals, in their, in their passion for people, they are, they are in the image of Steve Irwin. You no, know, with their own individual thing. Like if you had never seen Steve Irwin, and some of the younger people in the church may have never seen him before, um, when you look at his kids, you see a bit of Steve Irwin. He images the, they image him into the world. So you know, like, um, you know, I. I have gifts that lend me towards talking, and if you've met my father, I image him a bit into the world, like that's just the way it works. And, and so a really good way for us to think about image then, and when God says you were made in the image of God, all right, I want you to think of it this way, you as God's child is designed to image your father into the world. So if the big crown is God and, and the little crown is us, that his ways, his character flow through us into the world. So in the same way, you look at Bindi Irwin and you see Steve Irwin's love for animals, you know, w- you know, Daryl as someone whose pure purpose is to image God into the world, that when Daryl is merciful, they are seeing the mercy of God, as in he's imaging the character of his father into the world. We, you know, when when we're being kind, when we're, when we're demonstrating justice, when we're caring for creation, we're actually image. Imaging the Father's heart into the world. And our purpose is to do that, right? Is to image, we are made in the image of God. Right? So this is, this is what that's referring to. We are made in the image of God. We are at our true purpose when we are simply imaging our Father into the world. You get to know the Father through the children. And when you look at this arrangement, you quickly realise that this arrangement would only work if we trusted the father it only works if we trust the father because if we're imaging him in the world then he defines right and wrong he defines up and down he defines good and bad we image him into the world and, and the, so we show that trust and deference for him to define good and evil. And we trust him um, to, to because we're, we're the ones that image him into the world. We're not going to just image ourselves. But you can also see how this is a beautiful arrangement. That if humanity embraced it and followed it, you're free to thrive. Because we all collectively have the same goal, to image our loving Father into the world. We're not competing. It's not about Daryl's image versus my image or Todd's image versus Daryl. It's we image the Father into the world together. And we're also, so we're free to thrive and we're free to love. Because unity is easy in this picture. Because we trust God together. It's not how great am I or how great is my idea or I think this is good and you think this is good, but we trust the Father together. So we're free to thrive and free to love. And when we looked at the Adam and Eve narrative, one of the key things is the trust is broken, that they chose to do what was right in their own eyes, that they reached for what God said was not good to reach for. And and so humans broke that trust, and the narrative tells us, that all these behaviors that had yet to be part of the creation became part of the creation blame became part of the creation now it's like rather than serving to God they're in competition it wasn't me it wasn't it wasn't me it was it. and then the other thing is shame all of a sudden because we're all our own gods there's judgment upon each other and so there's shame before each other and there's shame before God in the very opposite and the very opposite of this arrangement is happening, is that all that trust is broken. And so when we, when we think about distance, when we think about distance, we, there's a distance that's been created. So it's like God is that with, if the mountain, the top of the mountain with the crown. That's like the relationship with God we were meant to have, where we trust Him and we defer to Him together and we're unified and we enjoy His love and the love of each other because God's nature is love and we're at the bottom of a mountain and we cannot get back to that way of life we cannot help but promote ourselves at the expense of others we cannot help blame others. we cannot help show a lack of trust we cannot help but be selfish and and the thing is like humanity has never been able to escape this and we know this like I was talking to someone so you know it's been really helpful for me um, with, you know, a lot of the people in our church who have a passion for social justice, is that in the West, for instance, it has never been more in vogue to say slavery is wrong. You can say that on your Facebook feed, you'll get a billion, like, oh, slavery, yeah, it sucks. We're more dependent on slaves than ever, as a society, in terms of what we actually rely on. You know, we, we're all, um, you know, it's it's... You look at relationships, relationships keep breaking and, and you look at the world and we can't help but elevate ourselves and, and hurt other people. That it's all it's broken. And it's because we're at the bottom of this mountain, we're all our own gods. And there's a distance that's being created. We can't get up the mountain, and we're under God's judgment. So there's this, this distance, it's eternal, we can't do anything about it. And in the same way, when I heard any one of you, a distance is created, we turned our backs on God, and a distance is created. But remember this, what did I say at the start? Forgiveness is crossing the distance, right? Forgiveness is crossing the distance. And God, in Jeremiah 31, Verse 33 to 34, beautiful passage if you want to read along with me, but if you can also just hear it. So Jeremiah 31, 33 to 34 says this. God points forward to a time, so in the Old Testament we see Israel cannot get back to it. They cannot get back to simply trusting God. They cannot get back to simply treating Him as King and being unified under that and showing Him in the deference that He deserves. They can't get back to it. And the prophet Jeremiah points forward to a time where God will forgive. He says this, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord. Because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Notice the language. He's talking about a return to us perfectly imaging him. They're going to know me. I'm going to put their, my law in their hearts. We were, like They'll just know me so well and live my heart out into the world. And the way this is going to happen is I will forgive them. I will cross the distance to them. And that's we—that's one of the key foundational things when it comes to Jesus. If I can just show this one. No. I got a bit excited laminating. I've never laminated before in my life, and I've just done so much in the last couple of weeks. Um, it's good. All the primary school teachers are like, yeah, it's good. It's really good. Um, so what happened is we were over here... But what, did, what happened wasn't this. God didn't say, all right, we'll find your way back up the mountain, cross the distance. We couldn't cross the distance. God, when, when we talk about Jesus, which is what we're going to talk about this week, God crossed the distance to us. He came down to us. We turned our backs on Him, and He came down to us. He crossed the distance. And no relationship survives unless someone crosses the distance of forgiveness. And so we're going to talk talk about just a couple of things in what happened when God came down to earth. Hebrews 4.15, an amazing verse that sums up so much of what Jesus was about. Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest, that's Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin talks about the empathy of Jesus. Um, we know that Jesus walked in our shoes, didn't we? don't we? We know that if you take, pay close attention to his life, we know he was born into a town with a bad rap. It was actually a saying we know from the New Testament, what good can come out of Nazareth? What good can come from there? He chose to be born in a place with a rap. Um, you know I, I had a little insight into that mindset I, I taught at shelby high school and um you know it was really interesting like it was a tough crack really tough crack um but the kids were a little cooler with me once they learned i was local you could see it's in built on the in built in them that if you're from outside you obviously don't think much of us you know like it was this Oh, okay, you're from here. You, you know, like it was really, it was quite obvious. They were like, oh, okay. Um, it, was, it was really interesting to see. But we know that his family were asylum seekers. You think of the families running from Ukraine. Jesus' family ran from a dictator who was trying to kill him. So imagine a Ukrainian Christian opening up the Bible and seeing their saviour running from an evil despot. Like, it's cool, isn't it? Jesus really walked in our shoes Jesus had his friends deserting. Jesus had his family tried to silence him. Jesus was lied about, falsely accused. Jesus had a whole crowd of followers, followers desert him in one day because they couldn't look, uh, take what he was saying. He experienced life as we experience. But the key thing in that verse is, yet he did not sin. Yet he did not sin. And, when, and, and in the way we're talking about sin in that image of God is that See, we let go, like as in sometimes pressures applied to me and I stop imaging God into the world because I image revenge or I image hatred or I image image bitterness or I image a lack of forgiveness or a lack of mercy and so suddenly I'm no longer fulfilling my purpose, I'm not imaging God into it, that's why I need forgiveness but Jesus despite all those pressure points never, ever stopped imaging the Father perfectly into the world. He was loving like the Father is loving to the end. He was just as the Father is just to the end. He was forgiving as the Father is forgiving to the end. He never stopped imaging the Father perfectly. And that's why when Jesus, when we read the Gospels, we're actually reading what God is like. He's in the image of God, but perfect like we're reading this is what God is like. So we don't need to be as, you know, it's it's this big, writ large question made simple in Jesus. God is like this human man. That is what he is like. It's the most accessible form of who he is. And to show you how far that obedience went, that he imaged obedience right to the end and trusting God to the end and trusting his father to the end. We know that when he was about to be crucified, which was probably the hardest time to hold that. We know that he prayed to his Father, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And we know that he died in our place. So he came down, walked in our shoes, and died in our place. See, that's why he was pure. That's why we have the the Christianity Explained popularized demonstration that we like to turn to, you know, with the ceiling being God and and let's say this hand represents us and, and this tablet is everything that Tim's ever done wrong in his life. It's all here. Is it big enough, Tim? Yeah, there's not much memory in it. It might need a bit more, I don't know. And, you know. and what happens is the father looks down on Tim and Tim's, well, he's turned away from that relationship and put himself first and stopped trusting God. So there's distance between him and there's all that yucky stuff in the way. But Jesus is the only one who looks like this before the father. He's the only one who never broke. He kept imaging the Father perfectly. He never turned away from that. He did not sin. And we know that in the great death on the cross, Jesus, after walking in our shoes and living the perfect life, we know that all of that stuff, all of my stuff, Tim's stuff, Daryl's stuff, gets dumped on Jesus and God judges him instead so that the distance can be crossed between us and God, so that the relationship can be there with God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it may be the most plain way. God made him, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that leaves us with today's truth. Um, These are not in order, as you can see. I'm just looking through them each time. Okay. And I want to... Let me get the other one. So we've covered two truths. Now these, these truths, what we're talking about in these three weeks, are three truths that you have to accept if you're a Christian. The, the rejection of any of these three truths means that it's, you're not there's, some, there's a key cog missing in what's going on in your heart in terms of how you see this. The third, today we're looking at the idea that Jesus died and rose again for me. And we've got our three R's there. You can reject that idea, resist it. Go, you know, maybe you're in a wrestle zone, or maybe you want to receive that. That, yeah, Jesus died and rose again for me. And key to that is you believe. God needs to cross the distance to you. When I say, when I talk about that not trusting God and doing what is right in your own eyes and causing havoc and being separated from when I say that to you, it makes complete sense to you. You're like, yes, I really need Jesus to die and rise for me. I really need God to cross the distance. I really need His forgiveness. But here's the thing that sometimes gospel presentations miss. It doesn't make sense unless you're cool with the first truth, that Jesus is the King. Because Forgiveness is not God just protecting you from the consequences of the bad things you've done. That is not. Forgiveness is a rep- reparation of relationship. The only reason you want God's forgiveness is because you want to be in relationship with the King. Makes sense? That's what the forgiveness is for. The forgiveness is for is God restoring a relationship. So the idea that forgiveness is God going, um, oh yeah, you're forgiven and go ahead to have nothing to do with me doesn't make any sense. Jesus is the King. And the King died for you to bring you back into relationship with Him so that you could come back to your purpose of imaging Him into the world. And so, I just want to leave these two truths before you and just ask you to prayerfully... The reason I use the three R's is it's just a little accountable way inside yourself to know well, do I receive these truths? Do I receive that Jesus is the King? And do I receive that He died and rose again for me? And um, and we'll explore what it means then to walk in that from next week. So um, I'm just going to pray now. Jess, do we have a last song? We do? There we go. All right, let me just pray. Dear Lord, we just uh, thank You so much that you love us and we thank you lord that we serve such a good god that he would come and cross the distance that we created that he would actually seek to forgive us so that he can be in relationship that he would seek to pay the seek to pay the cost of forgiving us by dying on the cross so that we can be with him what a good god what a god worth following what a god worth giving all our trust all our praise all our deference to lord And so I pray that um, these two truths, that you are the King and that you died for us, I pray that these truths would would just be at the core of the hearts of the people in our church and that we would love, trust them. And if there's anyone who hasn't um, fully received those truths for themselves, I pray that you would convict them and bring them to that place. um, Because you are a good God. And uh, we just thank you so much that you came and died for us. Amen. Amen.